today in the, but God's good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, God. We thank you for your word, that it's a living word, that God, it's ever-changing. You never change, but your word's always changing us. It's making us better and more like you. And God, we ask you this morning, destroy the yoke of the enemy, the thing that would try to come against people's minds or their homes or their families. Lord, in the name of Jesus, let your anointing come down. Let me speak your words, Lord, with power and authority, without fear or favor of man. In Jesus' name, amen. I have to kind of catch my breath. It's a long walk. I'm just kidding. Things happen when you get older, you know. You don't intend to. And I've put my makeup on further and further away. And every once in a while I get up real close to the mirror, I think, oh, I've got all kinds of new wrinkles, you know. And uh, there's just, and, and there's cures for that, but I just don't want to pay for them. So <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to talk this morning about worship. So I, I had kind of started studying, and I was getting my Sunday school lesson, and I was a few Sundays ago when I was reading, in this one scripture in 2 Kings 3 and 15, it stuck out to me. And Elisha said, go get me the minstrels. And as the minstrels played, the Lord spoke. So we're going to talk this morning about maybe an attitude of worship and how, uh, I'm going to tell you that there was a, my mother used to say that the Samaritan woman at the well, she was the first woman's preacher. And because she, she went out and proclaimed, come see a man that told me everything. He's got to be the Christ. So she was pulling people to Christ. But I never noticed until I was reading that she had an attitude. You know, the Bible says they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So we have to know who he is. And then we better come to him with a pretty good attitude. <laughs> I mean, you can come to him with a bad attitude, but once you meet him, you will change your attitude. So the woman at the well it said the disciples had gone out to go get food, and Jesus was weary from his travels, and he sat down by the well. And a Samaritan woman comes up, and he says, give me a drink of water. And she says, why are you speaking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You know the Jews don't talk to the Samaritans. Why would you speak to me? And he said, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would be asking me for a drink of living water. If you knew the gift you were speaking to, he even used the word gift, you would ask me for a drink of water. And she said, the well is deep, and you have nothing to dip with. So she's kind of being argumentative is the way I'm catching it. I never noticed this. And, and he says, uh, he said, well, the water I'm going to give you comes from within. It's a living water. It springs up, and you won't thirst again. You know what she says? She said, well, you give me that water so I don't have to come here and draw this water anymore. You know, you give me what you're talking about, then I won't have to do this work, come down here and get water for the family, basically, is what she's saying. And he says, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, that you spoke incorrect. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. <laughs> so she says, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> and, and now Jesus, in response to this, she says, I perceive you are a prophet. And she says, you know what? Do you think you're better than the people that did this well? Do you think you're better than Jacob? 
this is Jacob's well is where they were at. And Jesus, in response, says, basically, he starts telling her, there's going to come a time you're not going to be able to worship on this mountain, nor in the city of Jerusalem, because she's saying, well, the Jews say you should go to, we should worship here at this mountain, the Jews say we should go to Jerusalem. And he says, there's going to come a time you're not going to worship on this mountain, you're not going to worship in Jerusalem. And you know why? Because you don't know who you worship. He begins to tell her this. Does she even stop there? Now, this guy's read her mail. He begins to talk to her about worship. He begins to talk to her about the Father. And her response, I, I thought it was kind of classic. She says, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. And he stops her by his words. He said, the one that's speaking to you right now is that Christ, that Messiah. And as he spoke those words, it said the disciples came back up. I don't know what her reaction was right then to him, but her attitude was changed by coming face to face with Jesus Christ. She was already talking to him. She just didn't realize who she was talking to. Maybe already attending church, but not really recognizing who she was there for. Already hanging out maybe in the presence of God, but not really knowing it was God's presence. She was already sitting at the well. And somebody offered it, but she didn't know who it was. But once she came face to face with Jesus, her attitude changed. And it said she left there and she went into the city. She said, come. Come see a man that told me everything. Come see the Christ. That's what, that's what we're doing as Christians. We're going out and compelling people to come in. The highways and the byways and the hedges. So you say, well, where does 2 Kings uh, 3.15 come in? Elisha had an attitude. You go, prophet of God had an attitude? Yeah, he did. <laughs> in this particular reference in the whole chapter, there was three kings, and there was a king Jehoram, and he was over Israel, and then there was a king Jehoshaphat, who was over Judah, and the king of Edom. So these three kings are come together, and they're about to do battle with the Moabites. Now, Three kings, Jehoram's the one who started it all. And I thought about people, how we get all, we, we start things, we plan things, we get everything like we want it. We have it all going on, and then we start blaming God for everything. It happens. I've been there. I've done it myself. So, and then we forget we're the ones that started it. So, but anyway, King Jehoram says he, was, he, would, he did evil, but not as bad as his dad. You ever have those people, I'm not as bad as they are? <laughs> It wasn't as bad as he did, but he still did evil in the sight of the Lord. But the Moabites used to give him 100,000 goats, 100,000 rams, and all the wool. And after Ahab died, King Mo, the, Misha, the king, says, I'm not doing it anymore. He began to rebel. Well, the king, Jehoram, decided he was going to do something about it. So he gathers all Israel together. He musters them all together, the Bible says. And then he says, well, I'm going to see if Jehoshaphat will go with me. So he sends somebody to Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, will you go with us? The king of the Moabites is rebelling against us. And he said, your people's my people, I'll go. Do you have a direction you want to go? <laughs> now, if somebody's asking me to go somewhere, somebody says, you want to go do some battle, you want to go, uh, you think, okay, you want to go to a revival, uh, do you want to be one of the speakers? You think, well, they've already got this lined up, right? The, the, which direction are we headed? You know? And so he says, what direction? He said, we're going to go through Edom. Okay, so they pick up the king of Edom while they're there. 
and they in the Bible says they got a compass and they went seven days into the wilderness guess what happens in the wilderness you run out of all kinds of provision they ran out of water and now the very one that put it all together says well God just brought us here he brought these three kings together just to give us over to the Moabites he's just giving us away to the Moabites and he starts complaining but you know what it's good to hang out with good Christian people it's good to hang out with godly people because Jehoshaphat said hey why don't we inquire of the Lord is there a man of God anywhere that we can acquire of and they said yeah there's Elisha so they said okay we're gonna go see Elisha we're gonna inquire of the Lord they go down to Elisha and as soon as Elisha this is where Elisha has the attitude as soon as Elisha sees Jehoram he said you need to go to the prophets of your mother and dad and we're talking Jezebel and Ahab you need to go to them he he didn't even want them in his presence he he was upset he wanted to push them away and he goes, oh, no, no. He said, we're not leaving. He said, we need to inquire of the Lord because the Lord's going to turn us over to the Moabites. And he tells him, and this is why I know he has an attitude. He said, I wouldn't even look your way if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat. I wouldn't even give you the time of day. Now, have you ever known Christians act like that? <laughs> Maybe from past, you know. Why are you going to do that to me? You know, I wouldn't even look your way if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat. But he knew he needed a change. He knew he needed an attitude. If he was going to talk to God, he needed something to happen. He said, bring me the minstrels. And as they begin to, the magicians begin, musicians, not magicians, but sometimes it feels like magicians. <laughs> because as they begin to play and they begin to worship, as Elisha began to work, the Lord spoke. Again, when we come to face to face with Almighty God, when we get in a place of worship, when we begin to speak to Him, when we begin to give Him praise and thank You, Lord, and we just begin to pour out our hearts to Him and ourselves, there's a lot of things He wants to do for us. There's a lot of things He speaks to us. There's a lot of things in our heart He begins to work on. And our attitude changes. And Elisha says, I want you, Elisha said, the Lord said, dig a lot of ditches in the valley a lot of ditches and he said the Lord's gonna fill these ditches with water without rain and without wind you notice God didn't ask him to do the impossible God didn't say go out there and do something you can't do he asked him to do something they knew they could do and he's gonna turn it into something miraculous so go out and dig lots of ditches and so they go out and they begin to dig these ditches and I, I don't know how some of them felt about the ditches, if all of them believed, but he says, this is no big deal for God. He's going to fill these up with water. Can you imagine him talking? God said, this is no big deal for him. And he's going to deliver the Moabites to us. Some of them probably were encouraged. If I said, the Lord said to somebody in here, and I gave them a word of the Lord, and then you're out there and you say, well, you know, have you ever had anybody speak over you and you say, well, I, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe, but... Some people will grasp a hold and say, the Lord said it, I, I'm grabbing a hold of this and I'm going with it. So they go out and they dig the ditches. And it said, and it came to pass in the morning, the ditches were full of water. Now I imagine their faith at this point is way up here, don't you? Now God said he was going to fill these ditches with water, supernaturally, without rain, without wind, and he's going to deliver us into the Moab, 
they're going to deliver the Moabites to us, so we're going to win a battle. So they know they're going to still have to go to battle. They know they're still going to have a difficult time. They know they're still going to have to exert energy. But now they've got their water. They've got... He didn't... He's, he's going to come in. Because what transpired to this place to save these people? I call it worship. They worshiped, and the Lord spoke, and they got direction, and then they obeyed. And they went out, and the next morning the ditches were full. The enemy woke up the same morning, early it said, and the king looked out over the valley. Maybe he's looked at that valley many, many, many times. He looked out over that valley, and he said it was early in the morning, the sun was hitting it. But he had never seen water, I don't think, in it. So the sun hits it, and what's it look like? It looks like blood. He looks out and he sees the blood. He said, they've all killed each other. They, all those kings have killed each other. He said, let's go down and take the spoils. Let's go down and take the spoils. So they go down, and guess what happens? They lose. They, they're overtaken. The children of Israel, the king of Edom, and the king of Judah and all their men not only overtook them, but went into their fenced cities and overtook the Moabites completely. You say, and I'm going to read you in uh, chapter 4 on John, when he's talking to the woman at the well. When he tells her, he says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. You know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. He seeks us to worship Him. The God of all gods created the heavens and the earth. He wants us to use our voice, to use our talents, to use what He's given us to give Him glory, honor, and praise. When is a good time to worship? I'd say all the time. But I thought about when the children of Israel were kicked out of their homes. And now, well, they weren't kicked out. They left. They're free. They're, you know, running. They're free. They're, yay, it's all good. And then here comes the enemy behind them. They're going to put them back in bondage. They're up coming at, they're either going to kill them or put them back in bondage. Either, neither one was any good. Now they're facing the Red Sea and the enemy to the back of them. God splits the Red Sea. They go across on dry land. Guess what happens? When's a good time to worship God? When He's delivered you out of the impossible situation. There's some of us that in here that have been faced with impossible situations. You know, when you're a child, you seem like you have impossible situations. As a little bitty child, they cry. You know, they, they, I can't fix this toy. I can't fix To them, that's an impossible situation. We're children of God. It may not be no big deal to God like He said it to Elisha when He did the ditches, filled them with water. He said, it's no big deal. It's no big deal for me to do that. It's no big deal for us as parents to snap those toys back together, to fix that toy real quick and hand it back to them. But for that child, it's an impossibility. So God delivers you out of an impossible situation. And you've gone across on dry land, and he swallowed up your enemies or whatever you're facing. It's a good time to worship him. It's a good time, Marianne said, get that tambourine out. They got that dance, and she said it. She began to praise and worship God, and the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Um, 
Children of the fiery furnace. <laughs> you know, sometimes we face things and we don't know. We have no um, assurance at the moment that God's going to take us out of a situation, do we? We don't know when our seasons change the exact day, but we feel like it's coming to an end and spring's fixing to start, but we don't really know, do we? So it's an impossible situation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know, I know God can, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to praise him anyway. So is that a good time to praise I'm in a bad, but you don't understand my situation. No, I don't. I don't want to be in your situation. That's, I'd have to, the only way I can understand it is to be in that situation. I've got my own situations. But it's still a good time to worship God. To worship and praise and go into His presence and thank Him for everything He's done. My mother, when she was, uh, had cancer and, and it was towards, well, she'd always say it, but towards the end, the last six weeks of her life, and they would wheel her down in beds and you'd do x-rays and all that stuff, and she'd always say, you going to church? Where do you go to church? Church is the first thing you should I'm just hear. But I remember her saying to me over and over, God has been so good to me. And I couldn't comprehend that. How could you say God's been so good? You're in pain. You, you can't hardly move. And you're suffering. And basically, you've given a death sentence. But she would say over and over to me, God has been so good to me. And that's what the children of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of Israel, they said, no matter what happens, even we know he can, but even if he doesn't, we're going to praise him anyway. It's a good time to praise the Lord. <laughs> there was a place, and I do want to read this in Second Chronicles. They've come, at, building programs are always exciting, but the best part of a building program is when it's over <laughs> and you see the finished product. <laughs> Been in a few build, building programs, and it is, it's, you know, we've uh, stripped walls and painted, and don't, but it's always exciting at the end of a building project. It's always exciting when the house of God is ready in the, for the first Sunday to come into worship, and you're all excited about worship. You're all excited about God's house. And they had, David had, and I know I tell a lot of stories, but I love the Bible stories. David had told God, he said, I want to build you a house. I have a house, and it's made out of cedar, but I want to build you a house, God, because you live in a tent. Your presence is in a tent, and I want to make a house for you. And God says back to him, he says, you know, of all the places I've been, of all the things I've done for people, no one has ever wanted to build me a house. And he said, because of your desire to do that, he said, I'm going to make your household, your seed, an everlasting seed. It's going to continue on. And I'm not going to do to you what happened to Saul. He said, I'm going to continue this lineage, and it will be forever. And David, very humble as David was in the Bible, he began to say, who am I that you would do something like that for me? And God said to him, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. But you know what? David is in the lineage of Christ. But he built this house. At the end of this, his, actually his son built the house, Solomon, because David was too bloody. You know, we all make mistakes, right? We all do things we shouldn't do. We all have shortcomings. And if you don't, I want you to stand up because I need to pattern my life after you because I think we all are like that. We all are. David was a murderer, an adulterer, but yet he was a man after God's own heart. 
I'm telling you, the devil wants to try to keep us beat down and tell us, you are no good, you are not worthy to praise God, you are not worthy to stand and give me accolades, or give God accolades, you are not worthy because you've made this mistake and this mistake and this mistake. And the devil will always be facing you with your inabilities, with your weaknesses. In Joel 3.10, it says, let the weak say they're strong. I don't care what your circumstances. I don't care what's gone on in your life. He's worthy of praise. I don't care if you're the worst person. If you just committed an act on the way to church this morning. That happens. <laughs> Not me and Lloyd, of course. <laughs> but I don't care what, what it is. The devil's going to tell you as soon as you walk in those doors, you, you just acted like that and you're going to come into God's house and worship him? Yes, because he's worthy. And I don't know how many times I'd stand and I'd say, yes, because he's worthy. He's worthy of my praise. He's worthy. doesn't matter what I've done. I can't be worthy without Christ anyway, without his blood covering me. So, yes. So, the Second Chronicles 5.13, And it came to pass, as the trumpet tears and the singers were as one, to make one sound, to be heard, and praising and thanking the Lord. And I thought about praise and worship, how we get our minds go this way, this way, this way. You know, we all do. But if we could come together as a body of Christ, and we get in one mind, one voice, with the music, and we begin to praise, listen to what happens. And when they lifted up their voice, that means each of us singing, not just people up here, but each of us singing. With the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music. I can't play lots of things, can't sing real well, but we can all sing together. And praise the Lord, saying, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. That's all they're saying. You're good, God. You're good, God. Your mercy endures forever. That's what they're saying to Him. You're good, God. You've been good to me, God. You've been good to my family, God. You're a good God. I thank you, Lord. Your mercy endures forever. I thank you for the grace and the mercy, the grace by which I stand today. I thank you for that, Lord. And they begin to praise that then the house was filled with a cloud and even the house of the Lord so that the priest or the ministers, they could not even stand to conduct the service by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled that church, that temple. God hasn't changed. He's still the same. He still wants the same thing. He still wants His people to praise and glorify Him. So there's always a good time to praise Him. So when you're standing in front of the impossible, and like I said, Everybody has impossible situations at the time, it seems like, for them. But when you're standing in front of the impossible, just begin to praise Him. As Paul and Silas, they're beaten and thrown into prison, locked up in jail. I don't know, I can't even fathom how that would be. But they begin to praise the Lord. And at midnight, the ground shook, the jail was opened. Don't let the enemy stop you from praising your Creator. Don't let the enemy slow you down or pull you back. Don't let him stop you from glorifying God because you're going to end up hearing from the Lord. You're going to end up getting direction from God for your life. 
by your praise and by your worship and by your seeking him. He's worthy of our praise. And not only just at home alone, but in a body. If one puts a thousand to flight, two puts ten thousand to flight, can you imagine how many? The anointing doesn't just break the yoke. The anointing destroys the yoke. The devil wants to yoke us up and lead us away from God. And God wants to destroy that yoke and put the yoke of Jesus. And what does Jesus say? My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And he said, come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He beckons his children. He loves us so much.